Were you doing the Star Wars theme right there? If I was, it was purely by mistake. Are we on? We're on. You don't seem like a guy that was ever into Star Wars. Um, I probably wasn't into it, but I did pay attention to yeah. it. Uh, but, uh, dude, Star Wars, whatever. I am in a mood because of this music right now. <laughs> You're in a good mood. I'm in a mood. I didn't say good mood. I meant mood. I'm chilled out. It's been a rough couple of days. It's been really busy. It's been a rough couple of weeks. And I, this music, this music this is all you puts need. me at rest. Man. Folks, we're here in the studios, uh, the Griffiths Broadcast Studios of Northern Seminary with another edition of Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission. The questions of engaging our culture for Christ and His kingdom. How was that, Mike? Moore? That was good. There's a little tip of the cap there to Wheaton College. Hey. And that, and that motto. Your I'm alma a, mater. I'm an alum. I'm an alum. It's not all. It's not all. I was going to say not all bad, but that might give people the opinion that I have a negative opinion of Wheaton College, and I don't. Nope. So, anyways, it's not perfect, just like uh, Northern Seminary is not perfect, just like you're not perfect. At least that's what Correct. Grace is telling me Correct. these days. It's anyways, all true. <laughs> that's a bit of a lie. Grace has not talked to me. Uh, and, and But anyways. But that's a good segue, actually, to our topic in yeah. terms of not being perfect. Not being perfect. Yeah, the topic for today, do you want to introduce it or do you want me to? Yeah, I can introduce it. I mean, can you do it right off the... Uh, you want me to read this? Yeah, no, no, because there, there's a... Uh, uh, this, this comes off my Facebook page, as most often our podcast do. And by the way, mm-hmm. you can uh, be a friend. Or no, you can't be a friend, but you can be a follower on my Facebook page, which is the equivalent of, of the same. But on my <laughs> Facebook page, uh, much has been written on how we must reject the work of theologians who have fallen morally in their personal lives. This mm-hmm. especially applies to male theologians who have used power to engage sexual abuse against women. And so, um, yeah, and that led to a rather large discussion on my Facebook page. Yeah, I, I was just looking at it this morning. I think there was around 70, 70 comments made. Really? Yeah, quite a robust discussion. Yeah, and so really this cuts to the heart of, I think, a matter that every pastor and every... Uh, it's not just about reading theology and reading good theology and reading it in a, in a discerning fashion... Uh, especially on those theologians who have fallen miserably. It's about who we are as people and how we write or preach or lead in the midst of our own imperfections. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think where this comes out kind of in a more um, academic way is when we are faced um, with reading some of the great theologians and even dependent on their work. And you know, and I know, that I am dependent on mm-hmm. a flawed theologian in my own work. His name's John Howard Yoder. Yep. But there's also others like Karl Barth, Paul Tillich, 
uh, most recently in the news, but we don't even have to depend on the FBI uh, accounts of his moral failings as Martin Luther King because Jan- mm-hmm. James Cone, Ralph Abernathy, and others detailed um, his moral failings sexually in, in outside of his marriage. And and so the question is, and then, then you have this, the slave-holding theologian preachers like Jonathan Edwards Whitfield. and Whitfield. And, and so now the question becomes, like, how do we read these theologians? Yeah, what do you do with them? These male theologians. Mm-hmm. One response, or one quick response I've seen read online is just throw it out. Just reject them. Right. What do you say to that? Well, that's what I was asking you. You're going to ask me. Well, my, um, my first response is it's not that easy to just throw them out. Right. It's like, okay, let's just take uh, the example of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, there, is, there are many people who, for nefarious reasons, would want to show out, uh, throw out the legacy of Martin Luther King. In fact, uh, what was the name of the FBI guy who wanted to basically undermine his moral character for the express purpose of putting an end to the civil rights movement? What was his name? I don't know. I can look it up, though. Come on, the FBI guy. Everybody knows. Well, I, you, you don't know him right I've now. got a blank. i got a, an empty... <laughs> yeah, s- me too, because I never heard of him before. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Who was it? Oh, God. The FBI guy who did all the taping. Okay, while he I looks that up, even if we wanted to, we couldn't erase the legacy of Martin Luther King. And the, and that goes true for many uh, oh, yeah. Hoover. giants. Hoover? Sorry. Yeah, J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar. Yeah. I kept wanting I to gonna, say, go I ahead. wanted to say Herbert Hoover, who's the so, president. So yeah, I was thinking Hoover as well, but I was thinking Herbert. Oh, like, you, uh, you and I are, uh, that, that's amazing. You and I are thinking exactly yeah, alike. Yeah, kind of scary Parallel too. streams, yeah, fantastic. Terrifying. Um, I, so so my, my point is, even if we wanted to erase uh, the legacy of the great Martin Luther King Jr. We couldn't. Um, and I don't think that most of us today, Edgar Hoover, whatever his name is, aside, would want to erase the legacy of Martin Luther King. In fact, we want to embrace it and learn from it. But we couldn't do it anyways because so much history has passed and been uh, affected, uh, been affected positively yeah. in many ways that we couldn't undo it anyways. And I feel like when it comes to Carl Bart, who had an affair with Charlotte Paul Tillich, who was a known misogynist, uh, um, uh, unfaithful man, uh, pornographer. I don't want to. I don't want to throw every, these people right, under right. the bus. But but uh, and and John Howard Yoder, who uh, had meant much. Uh, predatory abuse towards yeah. women sexually, uh, especially those that worked with him. Uh, we, even if we wanted to, could we erase how much impact they had? You know that I'm kind of like a uh, a uh, uh, student uh, uh, of Yoder. No, of Hauerwas. Hauerwas, who mm-hmm. has who owns his legacy to Yoder. Yes. It's almost impossible for me right, to erase yeah. and how impact. And Harwas admits that, too. Yeah. yeah. So is there another option here? Uh, well, another option is just uh, say that uh, 
It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter at all. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, we'll just take the theological ideas in a vacuum and deal with those on a cerebral level. Okay, and uh, this is basically to silence the voices that were so brave mm-hmm. in the case of Yoders. Yep. This is um, really um, a, uh, uh, for those of us, and I think, by the way, folks, uh, Stanley Harawas has written a paper uh, in defense of our respectable culture, trying to make sense of John Howard Yoder's, the title of it. And it's now published in a book, which I blurbed, called Minding the Web, Making Theological Connections by Stanley Harawas, published by Cascade Books. I think this was two years ago. <clears throat> you can find it in there. But Stanley does make the case that character and who we are uh, has a lot to do in terms of attesting to the truthfulness and um, faithfulness of what we're mm-hmm. writing yeah. and how we're expounding it. And so um, it's very hard for people like me to say a character doesn't matter right? in relation to what to the preacher in the pulpit, to the pastor who's guiding marital counseling, to the theologian John Howard Yoder who's writing mm-hmm. theology. And a lot of people have said that Hauerwas's work fills in what Yoder's work lacks, which is a focus on the human, on virtues, on on, on personhood. Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it, in that article, the, the essay you just cited, oh. Alex Sider says that about Hauerwas's work. Oh, Alex Sider. I do remember him saying that, yes. Um, and so, uh, so we have these two options, right? And... Uh, they're both, we're, we're, we're excluding both options. The option that you have to throw out everything everybody says or does that is a morally flawed person, or that we completely ignore the flaw in the person okay. uh, when we're reading them. So are, are we on the same page, Mike? Yeah, we're on the same page, but the question for how to actually do that, I think, is what looms large. Yeah, how we do that, uh, by the way, just to reinforce uh, what I just said, my, my professor, Don Dayton, who's retired now, lives in Pasadena, um, he said this on the same Facebook post that we earlier were referring to about this subject. He said, I remember a story told by my ethics professor, James Gustafson, who was at University of Chicago at the mm-hmm. time when Don was studying there. He said that a Union Seminary student was involved in an affair and decided to get the best advice available. He asked Paul Tillich, who advised him, that since such manifestations, this is what Tillich told him, such manifestations of transcendence are so seldom break into our lives, he should celebrate and maximize the affair. Interesting. That's what Tillich told him. When he asked Gustafson, he got the opposite advice, that he had made a covenant in his marriage and that his responsibility was to be faithful in that covenant. This story, by the way, uh, uh, Gustafson covenant played a significant role in his ethics. The story was intended to make the point that ethics are an extension of theology. So it may be that personal failings inconsistent with one's theology are... A different matter, but I was, Dayton's telling me, I was impressed by the fact that his wife was bedridden for a very long time before her death, and Gustafson spent much of his time caring for her as an extension of his theology. Okay, yeah. So then my question is for Tillich, 
His advice was consistent with his theology. Yeah. And Gustafson's was consistent with his. With his theology. So, so there... <laughs> so... Um, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not laughing at the, the case. I think we're laughing No, we, at... we've got a conundrum here. Yeah, is because yeah, if we want to agree with uh, Gustafson in this case, uh, we have to disregard Yoder's right. theology or disregard Bart or MLK. Well, right. So it, it sounds like we need to deal with... Um, I don't want to make too clean of breaks here, but we do need to deal with their theology and with their lived ethics of, right. the, of the theologian. So uh, we're getting kind of complicated here, but I wanna—I just want to read a little section out of what I believe is uh, maybe the best treatment uh, in four pages from Steve Long's book, Ecclesial and Augustinian Ethics. It's from page... 104. One, no, 106. Um Okay. I'm just making up numbers. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm reading from page 106. And um, so um, he argues that we can do this. An individual's life is evidence for or against the truth of his convictions. Yoder's immoral actions must be taken into consideration in assessing not only his approach, but also the viability of his ethics. The connection, I'm reading a little further down the paragraph, mm-hmm. you're following me, yep. Mike. The connections between his justification for his actions and his theology must be attended to forthrightly. And so he then proceeds to go very carefully through pieces of Yoder's theology that are shown to bring to bear on his immoral legacy. Mm-hmm. And the implication here is is that uh, once understood, the vacuities or the problematics in Yoder's theology are exposed, and you don't have to throw out the whole thing, Yeah, but you read it discerningly in light of the testimonies against Yoder's ethic in his personal and moral life. But he, but he also says that we need to read Yoder's work and use Yoder's work to also critique his work. Oh, yes. He Meaning, so, so we, we have to read um, Yoder's theology of peace and nonviolence and see how that lines up with um, this theology he was espousing of sexual experimentation. Yes, in light of the eschaton. That's what Yoder was doing. And, and Steve also makes the point that it's not just one person's theology, right? Um, Yoder's theology was worked out in a community. There were other people that um, built upon it as well. People like Hauerwas, like McClendon, so to say that uh, Yoder's theology is just his is to give him a little too much agency and a little too much power. Yes. So you know we need to realize that this is also a theology that's lived out in a community. Yes. And so uh, I think there's some excellent points that you bring up that Steve Long uh, does such a good job summarizing. Pages 104 to 109 in his book, Ecclesial and Augustinian Ethics. It only costs like 120 $20 yeah, online. Cheap. Um, but uh, one of them is, is that we must read Yoder discerningly for what pieces of his theology allowed for the moral indiscrepancy. Mm-hmm. Secondly, read Yoder against himself for where he did not follow through on his theology. And the third part that you're talking about is Yoder is not just Yoder. Yoder's building on a tradition 
and he doesn't own it in and of itself, but he highlights, exemplify, uh, not exemplify, he highlights and expands and enlightens certain parts of it for the current contextual situation we're in, uh, meaning uh, post modern, postmodern church right. in culture. And so, um, can we do this with ourselves? Can we do this with pastors? Can we do this when we read a Bart? or some other morally fallen theologian. This actually helps me, doesn't excuse my moral failings when I write, Mm -hmm. but it helps me be very vulnerable and humble in listening to a community as to what parts I might be missing and what it might be revealing about my own uh, emptiness, moral flaws, problematics. I'm I'm teaching sexual ethics at Northern Seminary right now. Right. Um, And I'm always... Kind of, I used to always be kind of petrified um, that people will expect me to have this all worked out in my life, mm-hmm. and you know, at, far from it. In fact, one of the reasons why I think I'm so—pardon me for being a bit um, uh, bravado here—so mm-hmm. uh, good at teaching sexual ethics is my life has been failed in so many respects right. in this area. And I just think that this is what this kind of approach to understanding how our moral character relates to what we say, what we do, how we read theologians is a very important thing to get. Our witness is not based on us being perfect. Our witness is on our life exemplifying humility, repentance, and always being on the way to grow in the sanctification, love, and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. And submitting to the church and the discipline when our moral failings or our emptiness is revealed. Yes, and actually being happy. Uh, I know it sounds counterintuitive, actually being happy about it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful you showed my failing. This helps me. It helps my preaching. It broadens our community's understanding of how to go forward. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't think you were going down this road, but I think you'll agree with me. Um, it shows also why it's so important for the academy, for the seminary, for theology be, to be connected to the local church. Uh, I, I know in some denominations, my denomination, we ordain theologians to be theologians. So the practice of being a theologian is done through the local church. A church will credential that theologian um, to provide not just checks and balances, to, but to provide some covering and some authority. So theologians should be part of the church. It's the work of the church that's providing theology. It's also the church itself as an yes. arena yes. of the work of the Spirit that enables us to do theology. Yes, but but the moment it becomes cut off, the moment there is no longer an opportunity for binding or losing, in Yoder's words. Um, Jesus's words. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then Man, as soon as it's cut off from from the actual life of a community, it becomes speculation. Yes. Yeah, speculation, and then I think there's more of a possibility for some of these moral feelings to happen. I'm not saying and, that that's the reason why, but it and provides coercion. a larger, yeah, larger opportunity for coercion. Uh, coercion means if you're saying something as a law or a speculation to be enforced on people's lives without the actual working out of it in an arena of people's lives, now you're now you're put in a position of telling people what to do. Yeah. As opposed to describing what God is doing mm-hmm. and how to invite people into mm-hmm. it. Do you see the difference? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think this has been good. First of all, uh, why... Not first of all. I have one more question to ask you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people are so quick to write off theologians 
like, oh, specifically Yoder. Yeah. Um, and, and just say, I can't hear him. I can't read him. I don't want him quoted. Tell me about that reaction. Because it, it is everywhere, especially when it comes to Yoder. Yeah, Yoder especially. Is is it too simple to just say people do that because it's easy? I mean, I I don't well, I don't want to say just because it's easy. I think for some people it probably surfaces some pain and some hurt in their life. Yes. I, I can understand why a That's lot of what women I think's going on. You know, a lot of women wouldn't want to read read Yoder, especially if they have been um, victimized and if they're survivors of sexual abuse and assault. I can understand why you wouldn't By want to men read of Yoder. power. Yes. So I, I think I think sometimes it's it's an easy way to just push a push aside those theologians. But I think for a lot of people, it presses on um, places of hurt and pain and the difficulties of being human. Yes. And so it's easy for two white guys sitting in front of microphones yep. to say, oh, for goodness sakes, get over it. Uh, read Yoder discerningly. But I just want everybody to hear out there. Um, there are times and places when maybe we need to put people aside and not read them for a while. Mm-hmm. Give us time to process what actually happened so that we can read them more discerningly if and when we do return to them. But uh, so, so that's the lesson on how to read theologians uh, discerningly. And again, I recommend both Hauerwas's article in the book Minding the Web by Hauerwas as well as uh, Steve Long's book, D. Stephen Long, Ecclesial and Augustinian Ethics, pages 104 to 109, to get a good summary uh, on these issues, I think treated very well, very humbly, listening to all the voices involved and giving due uh, you know, credit and voice to what actually is going on. And if I, if I can insert one more in there, Karen Guth, she's a feminist theologian. A lot of feminist theologians have been engaging with Yoder, yes. and I think... We need to turn to the feminists and the womenist theologians who are saying, hey, we, we have something to say about this, and we need to humbly listen and learn from their perspective and what they're, um, what they're informing the church for how to respond. Right. And, and for someone like me who has been influenced by Yoder um, and anyone else who has read Yoder and, and he's still part of your uh, theological heritage, I urge you to read Ruth Kroll's um, uh, extensive 400-page uh, accounting of the of all the various hearings on Yoder, and also read Rachel Goosen's uh, Defanging the Beast, which was published in Mennonite Quarterly. I think that's about 120 pages mm-hmm. of just evidence of all that happened. Know what happened. Be uh, sensitive to these voices and understand. I don't think you can read Yoder without reading all that material. I don't think you can read another page of Yoder before you read that material. Now let's get let's wind this thing up okay. with with some final lessons we can learn for pastors as we uh, not only read theology but as we are actually walking uh, theologians, pastor theologians, leading congregations theologically. But we know we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Have you got any? Well. Uh, for for pastors who are you know um, reading theologians and maybe... no 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 not not talking about reading theologians oh, okay no. we've already dealt with that okay uh, I'm I'm talking about lessons for us who are imperfect who are failing who are oh. sinners gosh yes um, how do we lead congregations theologically when we on any given day you know like that person I was talking about we're in the midst of a divorce mm-hmm. so. Practically, um, find somebody or some buddies. I know you guys do triads at your church. Find some people where you can be uh, practicing confession 
and receiving the proclamation of good news of forgiveness. So find people that you can be vulnerable with. Yes, be humble, vulnerable, be willing to admit sin. And when somebody brings a charge against you? Listen, own it. Uh-huh. And then Matthew 18, bring somebody else in to do the work. If if you can't see it yourself. Yes. Uh, I must say, this this really is maybe the important lesson. And by the way, it's the lesson of Yoder, as uh, described in, in Hauerwas's paper. This man was arrogant and unwilling to submit to his community, as ironic as that would be for a neo-Anabaptist mm-hmm. like Yoder. And I suggest to you this, actually this one principle, humble, listening, always willing to repent. Well, what about that other guy who did me wrong? I'm sorry, you're the leader here. Leaders go first in submitting to a community and working out their theology and their salvation in fear and trembling. How many times... um, well, how many times would that have solved the problems of what we've seen in two of our largest churches in Chicago in the last year and mm-hmm. a half? Listen, submit, grow. Not only grow you, but allow your sin and and your um, example of submitting and growing over and through sanctifying Christ's sanctifying work over your sin to be an example and to show the way for other people. And it will better your theology and it will increase uh, the power and authority of your voice if you will just do that. That's good. That's a good word. You get three good points there. Listen, submit, grow. And always be willing to repent. And repent sincerely, listening sincerely, hearing what the other person has to say. I just think these are the uh, mantras of our day as we lead as fallen people, broken people, always struggling. Um, Not putting ourselves above the congregation, but putting ourselves with the congregation. These are the lessons we can learn on how to read the morally fallen theologians of our day. That was a pretty good podcast, Mike Moore. It's good. We didn't even if, talk about hockey. If we do say so ourselves. Yes, we do say so. By the way, the Blackhawks won the other night. Yeah, c- congrats. Yeah. And the it, Penguins and are struggling Maybe this that's year. why I'm in such a good mood. Yeah, I know. I Ladies know. and gentlemen, I hope this podcast uh, has helped uh, sort out some issues for you today. If it has, give us a review on iTunes, Theology on Mission podcast, where theology meets mission. We hope to see you the next time. Is there any other directives, any other announcements? No, uh, we quoted a lot of different books. I will put all those show notes in our uh, on our website uh, where you can on our web page or whatever you call it yeah yeah Missy Alliance or you'll see it on the Facebook page um, and I'll have them also listed on our SoundCloud page all right until next time it's Theology I'm Missing podcast over and out we'll see you next time Dave Fitch here Mike Moore over and out